This week I'll try not to, since I don't have the ear one, that uh, maybe I can get through without uh, knocking anything over or off or uh, anything like that. I'm already hitting that. Well, whoops. It's good to be up here again today. Um, today we're going to look at God's Amazing Grace Part 2. Last week we looked uh, a lot of, about how God, how Jesus wants to rescue the, the immoral as well as the moral. And one thing I want to say, because sometimes is I have a tendency to get going and, and get animated and, and knock things off and do this and that and slam into this. And so before I get going, hopefully I won't get going too, too fast. I want to. I kind of want to give a disclaimer and, and something that that I want to talk about because a lot of the point of the last week's message was that it's not by being good that we gain God's favor, but I also want to say that it's that it's not bad to be good. <laughs> you know, because I got to think about that. I said I hope I emphasize that, okay? Because you know, I don't want to sound like 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 our. Um, only way we can be good is to be bad, you know. But I think a lot of it has to do with with our motives and in our heart, and and so the emphasis and and realizing that we we can do nothing to earn our salvation, and that we can do nothing to get God to love us any more than He does right now, and we can do nothing to get God to love us any less, and so. What I'm doing with this series is, is that, and also it's important too, because sometimes I get going and sometimes I'll say we and sometimes I'll say you, but in all honesty, this series of messages is for me. Because I need it. And I'm aiming it at me. And, and one thing I, I've been learning lately is the older I get, the less I know. And the more I need to learn. And uh, I wish I'd realized that a long time ago, but... Uh, but I, I'm learning and learning, and, and, and this message on grace is, has really set my whole way of thinking differently, and that's good. I think I need to move that. There we go. So, I'm not going to point the finger at anyone, so, you know, if, if it sounds like it, remember it's for me. If, if it's for you too, then, then own it, you know. Maybe I won't just be talking to myself, but, but I need to, to, to understand this because it is so difficult to understand grace. Because in all honesty, grace just seems too good to be true. Because we want to put conditions on it. And we want to say, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, grace, but. Just like in salvation, so many times we want to say, you know, if we give our life to Jesus, but then. And there's no buts in that. I said that right. Okay. And so, well, the scripture I want, the main scripture I want to look at today is Luke 17. If you have your Bibles, I'll try to give you time this week to turn to them. Starting with verses 11. Verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going to a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. And so two things I want to look at today, two points, two main points I want to make, is number one, grace does not depend on gratitude. Grace does not depend 
on our being thankful. Number two is those who understand grace will be grateful. It sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? But understand, grace doesn't depend on gratitude, but if we really understand God's amazing grace for us, it'll fill us with thanksgiving. It'll fill us with gratitude. And here we have a story of ten lepers. And if you know anything about leprosy, it's, it's a horrible disease. And especially back then, they were, if you had leprosy, you were an outcast. You were set to the side. In fact, if you ever walked into a village, anyone came close to you, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. And a good Jew couldn't get close to anyone who was diseased and had leprosy. And, and this disease, the disease itself wouldn't kill you. But it would always be what would come later. It would destroy your, your nerves. You couldn't feel pain. You know, sometimes you think that could be good not to feel pain. But pain gives us a warning. For a hot fire, we know when to pull our hands back. And so what literally would happen is lepers, as time went on, their fingers would fall off. Their noses would fall off. They were, they were deformed. They had, they, you know, it was, it was such a disgrace to be a leper. And you had to live in leper colonies. So here's these ten men who were, who were doomed in their disease because there was no cure. And they see Jesus coming. And first of all, I think all ten recognized it was Jesus. Because they said, he, they said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have mercy on us. Jesus, have mercy on us. And so when he saw him, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. So then if you had, if, if you felt you had been cured of leprosy, you had to go to the priest. And they, the priest then, would declare you clean or unclean. And so they were following the law and they were going to the priest. And along the way, some way, they were cleansed. And, and I believe a lot that they, they had to have the faith then to go to the priest. So first two things there in this story that I see is number one, they recognize who Jesus was. They may not have recognized him as Lord, but they recognize who he was. And number two, they had enough faith to believe that Jesus had cleansed them even as they are walking on the way. Because he didn't immediately cleanse them. He said, go show yourself. And so they had that. But of these ten Lepers, only one was grateful enough to come back and give thanks. And so what amazes me with this story in this is that it wasn't so much that nine men didn't come back or the fact that one did come back, but what amazes me with this story is that Jesus healed all ten knowing that only one would come back. Because Jesus knew only one would come back. And here was these men that basically, they were going to re-enter society. These men were excited. They were literally brought back from the dead. Brought back from the dead. They were given a new life. A new life. And yet only one of them came back to give thanks. And that in itself amazes me. But the fact that Jesus, in his mercy and grace, went ahead and healed all ten. That blows me away. Because I don't understand that. You know, if, if I was in Jesus' place, I wouldn't have done it. Would you? Seriously. Knowing how ungrateful they would be. So it's a good thing I'm not Jesus. There's a lot of good things I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Ashley Ann. But so much, so much in our society is conditional, you know. So much is conditional. You know, I think a, a, a lot of us will go out to eat after, after service today. And, and we'll have a, a waiter or a waitress. And uh, a lot of times does our tip not depend on how gracious they are to us. If they make sure they got our drinks in front of us. And one thing I look at is because whenever I go out to eat, because I have friends who are waitresses, 
And one of the things they say is they hate to work on Sundays. Those darn Christians that come in and, and they're cheap and they don't want to tip. And uh, I remember one of my favorite places, my home away from home, was Little Mexico. And in fact, I, I used to hate salsa, but somewhere along the line, that's my new addiction. It's no longer alcohol and drugs, it's salsa. And I used to walk in, and they brought me this great big bowl. I think somebody broke it, but you know. They say, here he is, it's bringing the big bowl so we don't have to keep going back. You know, but I had, I had some friends that were notorious for being little tippers. And I don't know a lot of Spanish. I know one dialogue I try to impress people with, like I know it and I don't, you know. Hola, Juan. <laughs> anyway, that's a long story. <laughs> and, but I do know a few words, and I know the word piquito, <laughs> which means very little. And that's what they were saying as they were getting their tip. <laughs> you know? And, and so, one thing I really try to do is I always try to give 20%. Because I'm a Christian. And I try, I don't go around telling everybody I'm a Christian, but I hope that people will know that. And I think it's, it's really funny, it's when we bow our heads and pray for the meal, and then we give nothing hardly for a tip. Because the matter of the fact is, is these waitresses normally are working for very low pay. And they depend upon their money for tips. Now surely, knowing that, they would try to do the best job they can, and most do. But for me, my tip isn't dependent upon how well they do. Now I will I will try to reward better service better, but in all honesty, I don't take away because of lousy service. Because, you know, that's how they make their living. But we live by rewards for doing good. And we know if we do good, and we teach our children that a lot too. If you do good, you will be rewarded, right? And so that's the way we really look at life. But what, what are our true motives? What's the true motives? Now I was, I was, uh, was it last night? Yeah, it was last, no, Friday night, Leanne? Okay, get my days mixed up. That's what's nice when you're retired. But Friday night, 2020, had a special on 9-11. Anybody see that? It was a really good special. But I was kind of, I, was, I had the picture on, but I was listening to one of my favorite praise leaders is Jason Upton. I don't know if anyone is familiar with Jason, but uh, they were doing a simulcast out in North Carolina or somewhere. And, and, and Jason, Jason leads worship, but he also does a little preaching as he, as he leads at time when the Lord so moves him. And so I was listening to the simulcast as I was watching the TV. Now this is a habit I kind of went back to my old days when my testimony building days, and I won't explain that, but uh, it's sometimes it's a habit I have. But this was the verse that Jason was teaching on. It comes from Luke 6, 27 through 36. It says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you'll be children of the Most High. 
because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. And as Jason was teaching this verse, at that moment it was showing the planes going into the Twin Towers. And I thought, oh my. How can I love those who did that? Remember, remember when, they, when they killed Bin Laden? Did you not rejoice? I did. I was excited. But I was thinking, you know, our prayer should have been that Osama Bin Laden could have been filled with the Holy Spirit and that Jesus Christ could have been filled his life. Could you imagine that? Similar to what happened to the Apostle Paul. Here was a man who thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. Our enemies, I believe, really believe they were doing God a favor that day. They're blind. And I think it's for us to pray for them. Not to seek vengeance. I'm not trying to preach against war. I'm not trying to preach against anything. I'm just telling you what the Lord was kind of speaking to my heart that night. That I was trying to take a different look, a different perspective on, on how I've used some things in my life. I look back uh, when I was, when Lee and I was parenting. I guess we never quit parenting. But I think back to my kids. And, and you know, I was so careful to try to filter what they saw and what they heard and, 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 and I tried so hard to, to motivate them to seek the things of the, of, of, of the Lord, not the things of the world. And, and I look back and I don't have a lot of regrets with my kids and I think Leanne and I did the best job we could and, and they're good kids, for, you know. But looking back I think that I would have tried to spend a lot more time with them and I would have been a lot more graceful. That's, that's my only regret I have there. It's kind of like in this story, it's kind of like, like Jesus giving our kids dessert and not requiring them to eat all their peas. You know? I remember when our daughter Anna was little and and, you know, that was one of the requirements. If you don't eat your peas, you don't get cake. As you can see, I ate my peas. And so, Anna's peas would disappear. And usually, as we were cleaning up, you would find them under her plate. But she learned at a very young age to please. You know, and that's a lot how we view life, isn't it? That if we do things right, and if we do it in order, then we will be rewarded. But this, this story in Luke just, it just, it, it, it amazes me. Because Jesus healed all ten. It was like they all got the dessert, but only one of them thanked him. And, and I think, you know, to me, I would think... Wouldn't you think the one that came back should have got a better prize? You know? I mean, maybe, maybe made him king for the day or something, you know? But it's the same principle in, in Matthew 20. This is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Starting with verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and there in the afternoon did the same thing. 
About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers were, who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when they came, so those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. You see, God's amazing grace is the same to all of us. But really, if you think about it, can that make you a little bit ticked off at times? It has me before. Especially if you work nine hours. You know, I've been an employee, I'm an employer. And it doesn't make sense either way. You know, if, if I could get away with working an hour a day and getting paid for nine, that sounds like the ideal job. Phil's not here, I was going to say sounds like UPS. <laughs> That's because I retired from the post office, I'll clarify that. But it doesn't make sense, does it? Work one hour, get paid for nine? Or, or as, a, as an employer, to pay someone who's only worked one hour, nine hours worth of wages? It makes no sense to me. And so, usually, because I want to believe so much that, that God will give us grace to the degree of how hard we work at it. Isn't that the American way? So we work at it hard. We work hard to get His grace. But, but the whole thing is, in verse 15 he says, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? I think, oh, that sounds a little familiar. I want to look at Romans 9. Romans 9, 14. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens those who he wants to harden. It's not an ideal subject to preach. A lot of, a lot of folks who preach through Romans kind of preach over this a lot. And one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist His will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for spatial purposes and some for common use? And see, what we have to understand about grace is that God is God and we're not. We can't... We, we don't understand that a lot because we're not God and we try to understand it and we try to put God in a box. But God is God and He's going to do what He wants to do whether we like it or we understand it. And that's hard. That's hard to understand as mere human beings. 
But the whole thing is, and the point there I want to try to make is that it's best if we don't try to understand grace because we can't in our minds. You know, it's, it's just like in, in, in Luke 15, in the, the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to turn there, or, or, but it's the same principle there because here's, here's this son who really says to his father, you know, give me my inheritance now. And his father knew he was going to go out and blow it. And literally what the son was saying to the father was that you're dead to me because you get your inheritance when your parents die. And he's basically, you're dead to me. I want to do what I want. And he did, and he took it, and he blew it. And, and he was sleeping with the pigs. And then in Luke 15, verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, and he realized this wasn't a good idea. My life is in shambles. I'm going to go home, and, and even if I can live there and be a servant. He repented. And he went back. And, and a lot of us would think, we need to punish him, don't we? We need to let him sleep in the servant's quarters or this and that. But what did his father do? His father gave him the best of everything. And he was so excited because he said, my son was once dead to me, and now he's alive. And he gave him the best robe, and they killed the fatted calf. And, and everybody was rejoicing except who? The oldest son. And he was saying, what do I get? You know, here he goes out and does that, spends all that money, has all that fun. And here I am serving you and doing all this, and what do I get? Kind of ungrateful, wasn't he, for what he had. It makes no sense to us. But you see, the prodigal did not receive conditions from his father. And so many times I, I think, but, but what about tough love? And, and I'm not saying tough love isn't good. But the prodigal son was aware of his sin. He was repenting and understood what he deserved. And what he understood he deserved was nothing. That he deserved no longer to be his father's son. That's what he deserved. But what did he get? He got his father's grace and mercy. Just like us. Just like us. Only I believe he was, he was grateful. And, I, and I, I think a lot in the church in America today. And one thing that in the, the last 26 years I've been a member of this not this church, but the church, several years here. But, and again, I'm not pointing any fingers. But one thing that, that I have seen over and over again in Christianity is that we, we love to shoot our wounded. We love to point fingers. You know, think about it. How often do we, how do we treat those who fall? How do we talk about it? What about those who don't live up to our expectations? How well we judge that, how well I judge it. Again, I don't want to point any fingers. But what we don't understand, each one of us is one temptation away from being in that same position. One temptation away. Because you see, we're all sinners. Saved by grace. We all make mistakes. Some big, some not so big. I hope none of yours are big. But the fact of it is, is that unless we understand we could do the same thing, we'll fall. We can fall so easily. And I've seen it time and time and time again. Because we all want to receive God's unconditional grace, but we're so reluctant to give it. So reluctant. And, and not understanding, you know, it's so easy to look at someone and in the midst of their sin and say, huh, I thank God that's not me. You ever done that and then ended up in the same place? 
this is kind of minor, but I remember last week I told you a little bit about how I like to celebrate, celebrate my birthdays going to water parks. And several years ago, I, I'd gone up to Chicago with my boys, and, and that was when I kept disobeying the rules and got in trouble. But before I left on that trip, I got a lot of trouble on that, on that trip. Before I left, I remember looking at Leanne because that summer I'd been working a lot of overtime. I didn't get off work till after 6 o'clock at night. And I wanted to get up to Chicago at a reasonable hour. And so I looked at Leanne and I said, and at that time I had a Jeep Liberty. And, and I looked at her, I said, can I, can I use your car to go to Chicago in? And she goes, well, why? And I go, well, your car's faster than my Jeep. <laughs> and so she looked at me, she goes, well, your Jeep's fast enough. And I said, yeah, but you get up about 90, it feels top heavy. And so she looked at me and she goes, you better not be driving 90 miles an hour. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I looked at her and I go, hey, I'm not the one in this family who's had the speeding tickets. <laughs> well, <laughs> ended up I took my Jeep. <laughs> Well, I had to, I, I'd forgotten I had to take a bicycle up to my son Lance anyway, so that wouldn't have fit in a car real well. And so, now it's confession time. I got out by North Montgomery, that long straightaway. I passed, just passed a car. And I, I wasn't going 90. I wasn't going over 85, I swear. <laughs> and so I was going about 85. <laughs> and as I look up, here comes one of our county's finest. And I go, oh. And, and I just knew it. I mean, as soon as he passed, we were going opposite directions, but as soon as he passed me, what comes on? Red lights. And so I knew I was guilty. So I pulled over. As soon as I saw him turn on his red light, I knew he was going to turn around. So I just pulled over, waited on him. And he comes up and says, what's your hurry? And I explained to him. And, and uh, apologized and pleaded and begged. No, I didn't do that. But I mean, I was willing, you know, but in God's mercy, he gave me a warning ticket. Thank you, Lord. But I had to call Leanne. And so I called Leanne and I said, Leanne, guess what just happened? <laughs> Because actually, and I left this out as soon as I said that to her, that I wasn't the one with the speeding tickets. Do you know what she said to me? She says, <laughs> you just set yourself up. <laughs> that was 15 minutes before. She was prophesying. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tell that that, you know, we can't... <sighs> We have to be so careful how we treat one another because it's only the grace of God so many times that we're not in the same position. Can you even say amen? Okay. But understanding God's amazing grace, it fills us with so many questions. It's like, like is this not cheap grace? Was it really fair to the nine lepers? that they got away with not being grateful? Was it really fair to the one that he had the same reward? Or that, that because they were all healed? But we have these questions because so many times what we assume is that grace is for the recipient. That grace is for us. But actually, grace is all about the giver. It's all about him, not us. And the reason he gives us grace and mercy is to glorify himself through us. And so that's why if we really understand that, it's going to fill our hearts full of gratitude. 
And like when we come in on Sunday morning and we begin to sing the songs, we start singing them from our hearts and we start, we start saying, Lord, I want to give back to you. And in our lives, we want to be grateful for what we have. Because it's not about us. It's about Him. Again, the points I'm making today, first point is God's grace is unconditional and does not depend on our gratitude. Number two is those who understand grace will be grateful. That's why we think grace is risky. I mean, some people might take advantage of it. Nine lepers did. Nine lepers took advantage of God's grace. But that still didn't stop Jesus from extending it. So what I have to look at is how do I receive it? How do you receive it? I think the final example is one time I borrowed an adjustable wrench from Leanne. She's kind of stingy with her tools. I couldn't find a hammer. And so she was a little upset with me because I used it like a hammer. <laughs> and, and, but the fact that I used this wrench as a hammer didn't, didn't take away from the fact of what the wrench was supposed to be used for. Does that make sense? Now, Leanne wasn't really grateful that she got her, you know, the next time I asked to borrow it, she didn't look like, did I do that? <laughs> Sorry, Leanne. <laughs> Actually, she was grateful. <laughs> See, I learned a long time ago, you don't talk about your wife when you're in the pulpit. <laughs> so I try not to do that. Well, going on, <clears throat> Romans 5, and we just, we just went through Romans, but Romans 5, God talks a lot about God's amazing grace. And the whole theme of, of, of Romans 5, the theme of it is substitution, that actually Jesus took our place, and that we deserve death, and that He took that upon Himself. And He, he became our substitute. And so then we get to Romans 6. And look at the, the first four verses of Romans 6. And Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. Twenty-seven years ago, I, well, I was a little over 26 years ago, I gave my life to Christ. But I, I talked a little bit about it last week. 27 years ago, I was immense in, in alcohol and drug addiction. And finally realized I was powerless against it. Now, I'm not going to go into that whole testimony. I'm not going to go into a lot of that part. But what happened was there came a point when I gave my life to Christ. And He freed me from that. He gave me a new life. Now, in the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of soul searching because I remember back then, I was so on fire. So on fire to reach those who were struggling with the same things. 
and I was so on fire to 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 be able to say, look, God will make a difference. There is a difference. You don't have to live that way. And whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever the sin is, we all have something. But through the time, I became content. And and, and for several years, I was a youth leader. I was an associate pastor. And I preached most Sundays. And I thought I was doing God's will. And then one day I realized that my own ambition, my own desire to do what I wanted to do, kept my wife and I in a place where we should have been long out of. And I had to take a long look at myself. And the first thing I did was I really promised the Lord to get back to my roots. And so what I do now is I'm involved with Trinity Mission. I'm involved with Celebrate Recovery through Rock Point and I'm in charge of the jail ministry of that. But it feels so good to be where God wants you to be. But in saying that, and the reason I bring that up is that part of Celebrate Recovery is, is that uh, people, people are there, it's not just alcohol and drugs, but it's life issues, it's all kinds of things. But when, when you're in a meeting, you introduce yourself. You know, I'm Rod. Uh, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. A lot of times, and what is really common with alcohol and drug addictions especially, is people will say, I'm a recovering addict, or I'm a recovering alcoholic. But when I introduce myself, I will say, my name is Rod, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I believe that the Lord Jesus has freed me from alcohol and drug addictions. Because I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation. And no longer is that ball and chain wrapped around my leg. That's thrown off. And he's freed me from that. But see, just as what Paul is saying here, did he free me to go back? No. No. He didn't free me to, to be sitting in a bar every night. Because you see, the man I was 27 years ago is dead and buried in baptism and brought new life. And I can honestly say I've been healed, but you see, it wasn't to my glory, it was to His. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it because I deserved everything but that. I deserved death. But He gave me life. And even, even as a Christian, I didn't deserve another chance in that because I blew what he's wanting me to do but he that's God's grace and mercy you know and I, I want to take an opportunity to thank him to have a grateful heart because without Christ I'm dead I want to thank him every minute of every day every minute of every day so Paul says, should we keep on sinning? And once we are justified by faith, we can do anything we want. But here's the paradox again. If we do anything we want, we don't get it. You see, if I thought I had been freed to go back where I was, I didn't get it. But I got it. Ungratefulness happens not when we think too much of grace, but when we take, when we think too little of it. Because you see, the nine lepers, they thought too little of grace. And so, we can't tell each other to be thankful. I can't stand here and say, be thankful. You ever try to tell your kids that? Are you thankful? Yes. 
No, you're not. Yes, I am. <laughs> you know? We can't, we can't motivate anyone. For true thanksgiving comes from within. And so when we look back at Luke 17, the original verse we looked at, who was the one that got it? Again, it was the one who came back was the Samaritan. He was a half-breed. He was one that was so looked down, the Samaritans were so looked down by the Jews in society that a good Jew wouldn't even go through Samaria. They'd go all the way around. And who was it that understood? It was the Samaritan. And so... To understand grace, we have to understand how undeserving we are. And if we feel we're good or deserving, then we don't understand grace. In, in, in uh, Tolian's, Javidian's series on this that I've been listening to, he tells a story about a friend of his who's about 70 years old. And this friend, when he was 16, wrecked his car. And so he called his, called his dad. Well, another thing, he was drunk when he wrecked it, and all his friends were drunk, too. And uh, he called his dad, and the first thing his dad asked him was, Are you okay, son? He says, Yeah, Dad, I'm, I'm fine. And then he began to confess. He says, Dad, I'm drunk. My friends are drunk. And he came home that night and he wept and he wept and he and he they went into the den and, and, and he just wept. He was so sorry. And he was so miserable with his guilt. And when he was done weeping, his father looked at him, and his father said one thing to him. And his father said, Tomorrow we'll go get you a new car. This friend of Tolian said it was at that moment he became a Christian. Because it was in that moment God's grace became real to him. He knew he deserved to be punished. He was being punished. And he also said that Many times when he told that story, he had folks that would get a little angry that thought his dad should have punished him worse. What do you think? While we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And when we get it, our hearts should be overflowing with joy. And I think a lot about Harvest Fellowship now, I'm really excited that the Lord led Leanne and I back here a year ago. And, uh, but I think, what, what, do, what do folks say about Harvest? What's our reputation? And uh, we certainly don't have a bad reputation. But what are we known for? And this is my desire. And this is a prayer I used to pray years ago here. I pray where I, a prayer I've, I've prayed wherever I've been. I desire in my heart to be with a fellowship that's known for the love of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if it's known for the, for the fantastic praise, which has been fantastic. Not that we had great teaching with Glenn and Jim and J.D. when he comes, but to be known for his love. Think of that. Think if we could be a congregation that put the needs of others before ourselves. What if we could become a congregation that was so thankful for our salvation that it just oozed out of us in everything we did? I think we'd have to build on I'm going to close here. Horatio Spafford. Anybody recognize that name? Okay. Horatio Spafford in 1873. He wrote this hymn. And this hymn was written, and I think you'll recognize it when I read it. I'm not going to sing it. I'll spare you that. I know you'd be graceful, but <clears throat> it's okay. 
The hymn was written after two major traumas in, in Spafford's life. The first was the great Chicago fire of October 1871, which ruined him financially because he had been a wealthy businessman. And shortly after, while crossing the Atlantic, all four of Spafford's daughters died in a collision with another ship. Think of that. He lost all his children at one time. Spafford's wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now famous telegram, Saved Alone. And several weeks later, as Spafford's own ship was passing near the spot where his daughters died, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words. And they speak of the eternal hope that all believers should have. No matter what pain, no matter what grief, or what circumstances, that we have here on earth. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, least this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. He was like the one leper who came back. He's grateful. Bow your heads a second. Well, wait a second before you bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to trust me with something, okay? Some of you think, uh-oh, I don't really know this guy that well. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in a second. And here comes the hard part. I'm going to ask you, and your, and your eyes are going to be closed, so you don't know how stupid you look if you think you look stupid. But I want you to just be in an offering position of receiving. Can you do that? Trust me. So just close your eyes, bow your heads, 